Years before, the name Alec Murdoch was splashed across every major media outlet. I was a local South Carolina journalist, and I had an instinct that something wasn't right in the Low Country. The powerful Murdoch dynasty dominated rural South Carolina for generations. Few dared to publicly utter a harsh word against them. From the newsroom to the courtroom to the kitchen table where we recorded the number one global hit, The Murdoch Murders Podcast, I invite you to learn more about my new book, Blood on Their Hands. Blood on Their Hands gives readers an exclusive inside look into the Murdoch saga and its sinister web of deceit, theft, and murder. I share the challenges of reporting on the many heartbreaking cases involved while pursuing justice for the victims and their families. Click the link in the description to pre-order today. Visit any retailers near you when it releases November 14th, 2023, or visit lunasharkmedia.com book to learn the best way you can stay pesky and stay in the sunlight. I don't know who killed Stephen Smith, but I know his family has now waited 2,316 days to get justice. And now, after a particularly painful few months for the Smith family, I'm more determined than ever to get answers for them. My name is Mandy Matney. I'm the news director for Fitznews.com, and I've been investigating the Murdoch family for more than two and a half years now. And this is the Murdoch Murders Podcast. Previously on The Murdoch Murders. On June 22nd, huge news broke in this case. I was the first to report that the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED, the same agency investigating the Murdoch Murders, opened an investigation into the Stephen Smith death. SLED told me that this was based on information gathered during the course of the double homicide investigation of Paul and Maggie Murdoch. So what happened to Stephen Smith? Like the probe of the 2019 boat crash that killed Mallory Beach, the 2015 investigation into Smith's death was chaotic from the beginning, derailed by jurisdictional perplexity and suspicions of investigative interference. Smith was found dead just before 4 a.m. on July 8, 2015. He was found in the middle of Sandy Run Road in Hampton County, South Carolina. Stephen had a 7-inch gash on the right side of his forehead. His head was warped by blunt force. The family kept the casket open so that people could see what was done to him. Uh, evidence here, there is only uh, evidence of where the body was found. There's no car parts, no any type of uh, uh, parts to a car or truck or any other vehicle. Um, a bunch of people, like, I just left the house the first official time yesterday, and I went into the store, and a bunch of people kept coming up to me, and I'm like, did you know the Murdoch boys are behind it? The rumors just going around Hampton that everybody keeps coming up to me and saying it's Murdoch boys. This name, people associated with this name have been going around kind of kind of threatening or putting the heat on people saying, you know, keep your mouth closed if you heard something, whatever. First we heard he was shot, then we heard it was a hit and run, but recently probably week ago, week and a half ago, I'd say something like that, um, I heard that these two, maybe three young men were in the vehicle, um, they were riding down 601, saw the car on the side of the road, I guess saw the boy walking, um, they turned back around, I guess they were attempting to 
I don't want to say, you know, mess around with him or something like that, and stuck something out the window and it, you know, hit him in, I don't know if it hit him in the head or the back or where it hit him. Um, and then that's pretty much all I heard. I did hear names and I'm, um, or heard a name. That name was, he goes by Buster Murdoch. Buster was, was on our radar long before you were, you know. Yes, sir. Um, the Murdochs know that. They know that he's okay. that he's on our radar. I don't have anything against them, but if it happened, like you said, I mean, if it happened... On December 7th, 2015, the South Carolina Highway Patrol receives an anonymous tip. And I'm quoting directly from the case file here. Quote, Dontario Aiken, along with another black male and a white male, parentheses Murdoch, are the ones involved in death. End quote. December 18th, 2015, Proctor receives information from Duncan about a man named Daryl Williams who says his stepson, Patrick Wilson, told him that Sean Connolly struck and killed Stephen Smith. And then Todd Proctor writes something very interesting in the case file. Quote, Mr. Williams stated that the reason that he was passing this information along was because Randy Murdoch told him to call. So that brings us to December 21st, 2015. Corporal Duncan of the Highway Patrol interviews Nick Ginn of the Hampton Police Department in reference to, quote, a tip that came in from Sergeant Barnes. This is about Patrick Wilson. To recap, a few weeks after a newspaper story mentioned the possibility of a prominent Hampton County family being involved with Stephen's death, Randy Murdoch supposedly told this man to call the highway patrol and tell them a story that suspiciously fits into the police narrative that is supported by no evidence, and that is that Stephen was hit by a car. In this episode, we're going to take you through the last few months of the initial investigation to show you where police were at when the case went cold in 2016. We highly suggest you going back and listening to episodes 2, 4, and 9 for this one to make a whole lot more sense. In our last episode on the Stephen Smith investigation, we teased an interview between Corporal Michael E. Duncan of the Highway Patrol and Nick Ginn of the Hampton Police Department. This this case that we've got, um, I, I you know I'll go over a little bit about. We've got some information, you know, about certain things, and this was a tip that was given to us uh, from, I believe, uh, a Patrick Wilson. Um, it, it, it's a he said she said deal that we we we've gathered that information um, so far. Um, right. And I believe this come from a is it a Darren Williams? Is that is that correct? It's uh, it's Daryl. Daryl Williams. Okay. Yep. And uh, do you know Daryl? Yes. Okay. How do yep. you? He uh, he is my stepdad technically. Okay. All right. And uh, supposedly uh, um, uh, Patrick Wilson told him this information about. Right. Uh, he uh, was. He Daryl was dating. Patrick's mama. Okay. So Patrick's kind of looked at him as a father figure, you know, over the past, I don't exactly know how long they've been, they were together, but basically he just looked at him as a father figure. He came fishing and hunting and things of that such. So. Okay. Can you, can you tell me what was told to you? We've tried to get in touch with Patrick, but he, you know, he's kind of avoiding the, uh, the, the call, the contact and all. Right. Um, Basically, Daryl called me, and he said, look, he said, this is what I was told. He said, Patrick, come over here to the house. He said, he told me that 
Sean Connolly was drunk and hit something. He said he went back the next day to see what it was he had hit, and he seen a lot of police out there. So he talked to one of the cops, and then he had left, and then he learned, I guess by media, that somebody had been killed in that same area. That's why the police were there. Okay. So with him telling, he said that uh, Sean called him crying, saying that that's what had happened. Okay. And then Patrick was telling Daryl, and Daryl told me that Patrick was crying, telling him, and after he got finished telling the story, he walked outside his house and threw up. Here, Nick Ginn, who just won a special election in September 2021 for a seat on the Varnville City Council, by the way, is telling Duncan that Patrick Wilson threw up after he told his stepdad that his friend hit Steven with his truck. Why would a teenage boy throw up after telling that story? Okay. He said, Nick, he said, Nick, he said, this is just me thinking, he said, but... I think I think that Patrick was with him. He said, why else would he throw up and get all upset like that because somebody else, you know, had, had done something. Right, right. Did he go into any detail about how it happened? Do you know? I mean... So, supposedly he had um, he had fixed his mirror. He had, he had patched one of the mirrors up on the truck. Okay, all right. I, I pulled all of all of his records, and I and I was looking to see, um, you know, what kind of vehicles they had, and I didn't know if they just he described basically how he hit him or how, you know, what happened. It was, it was supposedly the mirror, um, and I've got, I don't know, I got Mitch. Um, I think I sent him the pictures of the truck that he's driving, and okay. then he would have been driving that night. Okay. All right. But I, I'm pretty sure, I, I want to say that I sent everything to Mitch. Mitch? Yeah, Altman. Okay, Altman. Is that uh, a, he, okay. Because yeah. he, you know, he, him and my brother and all grew up, and, you know, he and I are pretty good friends, and I didn't know exactly who to contact, so my first thing when I got off the phone with Daryl was, all right, Mitch popped in my head, highway patrol, so I called Mitch. And, okay. He said he would get that information where it needed to go. All right, and um, so basically, just your your knowledge of it is 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 a third party is from what um, uh, Darren is telling you. Right. He he said he was concerned, and uh, somebody needed to know because somebody's lost a you know a son and stuff like that. And he said that's just something that you don't just sit on if you know something anything about it. So. When did when did he come to you about this? I mean, we got this. I, I'll, let me see. We got this tip. Um, we got this back on uh, December the ninth, and we've had you know a couple of people out looking for for uh, Patrick. Um, but then my thought was, well, let's just you know let's see what what was told uh, from you know someone else. Um, right. But when did he come to you about that? Do you recall? I mean, it came to us December the ninth. It's been. It hadn't been no longer three weeks. Okay, all right. And, um, and then I, I found it was Wednesday, December 9th at 7.58 a.m. Okay, December 9th. Let me write that down. That's, that's when I sent it to Mitch. I told him I needed him to contact me ASAP. 
Wednesday, December 9th would be just two days after the Highway Patrol received a tip that Murdoch was involved in Stephen Smith's death. Keep in mind, Duncan is saying here that he received this tip from Trooper Mitch Altman on December 9th. And according to the Highway Patrol's case file, they essentially sat on it until Proctor got word of this tip and tried to track down Patrick Wilson on December 18th. That's 11 days where it looks like nothing happened. Why would it take so long for them to investigate this tip? And how hard would it be to track down a teenager in a small town? Okay, all right. Um... As far as Patrick goes, what do you feel about Patrick? I mean, what kind of, I mean, what kind of person you think he's, you know? As far as a, as far as a good-hearted person, I think he is, but I think he's, uh, he's a little. Is he shady? Yeah, I'm not trying to be. Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to be, you know, put words in your mouth. Don't get me wrong, but that's the best way I, I kind of describe people sometimes when. Well, that was the word I had in my mind, but I was trying to think of a better way to put it. <laughs> I understand. Um, I... He, his dad is not. His real dad is is not a outstanding society member. Been arrested, you know, before. Yeah, and I think he's in the in some drugs and stuff like that. So, well, you you think um, you think Patrick uh, has does he have a criminal background as far as that goes as well? I mean, only reason why I'm asking. He was charged. He was charged with attempted murder, um, but I'm not exactly sure what the circumstances behind that was. I I want to say that that was one of them times that they may have charged him a higher charge to work their way down. Yes, sir. I understand. <laughs> oh, I understand. Yeah, but uh, I mean, any time I ever have any dealings with him, I mean, he's very respectful and stuff like that. But I, he he he's a little little shady. Okay, that, that, that's probably the perfect word to use. There is no record that the Highway Patrol looked into Patrick Wilson's quote unquote shady past, but I did. Wilson was charged with three counts of attempted murder on April 17, 2015. According to arrest warrants in the case, Wilson got into an argument with a man and fired his gun at the man's car, which had two passengers inside of it. This incident happened on Prince William Road in Brunson, South Carolina. Here is a clip from the 911 call. Did the fellow did a little bit of work for us. We told him we'd have his money Monday. He is now following us around. He just fired a gun and shot at us. Mm. And now I'm trying to follow him to get his tag number, ma'am. He's driving a Chevy full-size Chevrolet. It's David Wilson's son. We had pulled over at Prince William Church here because he was following us. He wanted our. He wanted his money. We told the child to call us Monday. We would have a check Monday. Mm-hmm. All right. And as we, he wanted to sit there and argue. We pull off. As we pull off, he sits in the road and fires the gun at us. It hits the sign right beside us. Okay. Is he still there where y'all are at, or is he gone? No, he turned okay. around, ma'am. He is out of sight. According to the arrest warrants, all victims were afraid for their lives. Sean Connolly, the person who Patrick Wilson allegedly later claimed hit Stephen with his truck, was in the car with Wilson when the shooting occurred, according to his witness statement. Connolly told police that Patrick Wilson grabbed his gun and shot at the sign after he argued with a man. The case file includes multiple witness statements and a photo of the bullet launched into the crossroads sign. A Hampton County grand jury later indicted Wilson on attempted murder and assault and battery in August 2015. 
While Wilson was out on bond, the family he allegedly shot at filed multiple harassment complaints against Wilson. And guess who Patrick Wilson's attorney was? Corey Fleming. Years before, the name Alec Murdoch was splashed across every major media outlet. I was a local South Carolina journalist, and I had an instinct that something wasn't right in the Low Country. The powerful Murdoch dynasty dominated rural South Carolina for generations. Few dared to publicly utter a harsh word against them. From the newsroom to the courtroom to the kitchen table where we recorded the number one global hit, The Murdoch Murders Podcast, I invite you to learn more about my new book, Blood on Their Hands, a propulsive true crime saga, an empathetic work of investigative journalism, and an excoriation of the good old boy systems that enabled a network of criminals. Click the link in the description to pre-order today. Visit any retailers near you when it releases November 14th, 2023, or visit lunasharkmedia.com book to learn the best way you can stay pesky and stay in the sunlight. Corey Fleming's name comes up a lot throughout the Murdoch murder saga. For a reminder, Corey Fleming is a close friend of the Murdoch family and was an attorney in Beaufort, South Carolina. In 2018, Fleming represented Gloria Satterfield's family in a very botched wrongful death settlement against Alec Murdoch. In 2019, Fleming temporarily represented Connor Cook in the boat crash incident that killed Mallory Beach. And two recent lawsuits accused Corey Fleming of misconduct in those separate incidents. Fleming just got his law license temporarily revoked for his alleged involvement in the Satterfield case. In February 2018, Wilson's indictments were all null prost, which means that the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office, where Alec Murdoch worked as a part-time solicitor, decided to not prosecute Wilson's charges and the charges were dropped. But this looks like a clear scenario of a violent crime with victims who appeared to cooperate that the 14th Circuit null prost without a plea deal. And Wilson's connection isn't the only link to the powerful family of Hampton County. Two Two lawsuits were filed against Sean Connolly by the Murdoch law firm in the year after Stephen died. On August 7, 2015, Randy Murdoch filed a motor vehicle accident lawsuit against Connolly on behalf of his client, Christopher Still. That lawsuit was dismissed in November 2016. Perry Buckner, a well-known friend of the Murdochs, was the judge in that case. And on May 17, 2016, Neil Alger, who is an attorney at PMPED, the Murdoch family law firm, filed a motor vehicle accident lawsuit against Sean Connolly. That lawsuit was also dismissed in September 2016. So yes, both Patrick Wilson and Sean Connolly have a number of connections to the Murdoch family and their law firm. At the very least, the fact that we've found two teenagers in this investigation who were sued multiple times by the Murdoch law firm for car accidents shows how far-reaching the Murdoch's power was in a place like Hampton County. Even teenagers without a penny to spare were being sued by this powerful law firm. And then we have to think of the worst case scenarios. What if these lawsuits and charges were used as leverage? 
We have found more troubling information about the Patrick Wilson Sean Connolly connection to the 2021 SLED investigation, and we will get into that later. But for now, we're going to get through the case files and answer the question, what happened to the Stephen Smith investigation before it went cold? Which brings us to December 29th, 2015. Now, the Highway Patrol apparently didn't do any follow-ups with Sean Connolly or Patrick Wilson, according to the case file. There's no record of the Highway Patrol speaking with either one of them. And really, there was very little movement with the case before it went cold. But on December 29th, 2015, I noticed something. A video related to this case that was taken by Trooper G.N. Hoffman was disposed of. Why would the Highway Patrol destroy any evidence in this case in December 2015 when the case was obviously running out of leads and nowhere close to being solved? According to the case file, progress in the investigation slowed to a snail's pace in 2016. On January 26, 2016, Todd Proctor of the Highway Patrol got a search warrant for Stephen's phone at Cellco Partnerships slash Verizon Wireless. I'll have David read that search warrant. Description of property sought. The target phone is to be identified as having the number of 843-605-XXXX and is further known as target phone. Any and all incoming and outgoing historical call data to include cell sites, text messages, to include content, identify cell site information, subscriber and phone toll information to include but not limited to target number, main number, account status, type of phone, subscriber name, published status, service address, billing address, other numbers, former service number, UFMI and IMSI numbers for each call from June 9th, 2015 to July 9th, 2015. Any and all information submitted pursuant to this search warrant shall be in electronic format unless otherwise requested. Reason for affiant's belief that the property sought is on the subject premises? The owner of the above-described cell phone was fatally wounded in an incident on or about July 8, 2015 on Sandy Run Road within the county of Hampton, South Carolina. The uses of the phone before the incident are pertinent to the ongoing investigation. The individual was found deceased in the middle of the roadway with severe head trauma. The investigation has led to this individual not being struck by a vehicle and possible foul play. The information on the phone would help determine who the victim had contact with prior to the events that led to his death. So why did the Highway Patrol take so long to get the search warrant? Stephen's phone would hold so many answers to this investigation. Who did he speak to last when he was coming home from school in Orangeburg on July 7, 2015? Did his car actually break down? Where was he? Who was he with? The Highway Patrol should not have taken six months to get the search warrant. They should have tried to get this immediately, and there's no signs of that. And if the South Carolina Highway Patrol's investigation led to the fact that Stephen wasn't killed by a car, and it says that in the search warrant, 
Why were they still investigating this case? They don't investigate murders. SLED investigates murders in South Carolina. Why didn't they at least attempt to give this investigation to SLED back in 2016 when they knew that their investigation was not into a vehicle accident? In this document, in January 2016, is the last mention of Stephen's phone in the case files. According to the case files, there was no movement whatsoever in the investigation until June 2016 when Trooper J.D. James of the Highway Patrol interviewed Dontario Aiken. For a reminder, the Highway Patrol received a tip on December 7, 2015 that said Dontario Aiken, along with another black male and another white male listed as Murdoch in the investigation file, were the ones involved in Stephen Smith's death. June 13, 2016, time now is approximately 2.04 p.m. This represents my case number CL-062-15. It's an incident that occurred in Hampton County um, in 2015. Um, currently speaking with uh, Ontario Aiken. Uh, we're on, this is just off of SC3 and, uh, and uh, by the train tracks here. And Bill Dock, um, Lance Corporal Hoffman is with me. Um, can you just tell me your name, just for the record? Don Terrio Aiken. Okay. Anybody else live there with you? My mom, my stepdad. And, um... Alright, this occurred, I believe it's July 8th. It was a Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning. James apparently isn't too keen on details in the case because Stephen was killed on a Wednesday. Granted, police can lie during interviews to trick people, but why would he lie about that? You tell me what tell me what you knew about this, about uh, what happened to Stephen. I really don't know too much about him. I mean, uh, I heard of I uh, know he got killed, but that was it. I ain't never heard what really happened to him. How? How did he get killed? Somebody I know went to school with me and Facebook, social media, pretty much. Really? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, posted that stupid thing. I can't remember who posted, but I remember. Seen it on Facebook, you know, somebody page. Now you go to Facebook and you just be scrolling. And then somebody was like, rest in peace, Steven. And I was like, Steven. And then I seen somebody had a picture of it. I was like, oh, that kid, he's down close to school with me. That's all I know, he died. That's how I figured out, you know, he died. But they say how he died? Okay. I, somebody said he got hit by a car or something, man. That's what, that's what you heard? Yeah. I didn't get hit by a car. You did? Uh-huh. Someone murdered him. So I have to say this again. If Stephen was murdered, then why is the Highway Patrol investigating this case still? The Highway Patrol specializes in accident reconstruction. They are not equipped for murder investigations. And this is so obvious during this interview. Hmm? That's what I'm saying. For what? That's crazy. Why would somebody do that to him? I have no idea. He wasn't bothering nobody, I don't think. Because he was out, when I played football, he was our trainer. He too much bothering nobody. Too much, I ain't never seen him talk too much. I mean, I've seen him every now and then in school, but other than that, I've never seen 
Here, Dontario is telling James that he never really talked to Stephen and that Stephen was their trainer on the football team in high school. He said Stephen didn't talk a lot and he wondered why anybody would kill him. And, and when did you hear about his death? When I got home. When was that? That Friday? Well, before that, well, that Friday, Sunday morning, something like that? No, it was like a week later that when I heard about it. So I came back home that when I heard about it. I got this kid down. Yeah, it's happened on the weekend. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Mm. What were you doing that weekend? I don't do most time when I come home. I work. When I was doing that. I used to work on the weekend too. James asked Aiken several questions about what he was doing on the weekend Stephen died. But again, Stephen didn't die on a weekend. And he brings this up over and over again, asking him basically about an alibi for an insignificant weekend almost a year after this event occurred. Did you, uh, you ever go out to, to parties out in the country with some schoolmates? Well, I ain't partying so long. It don't make no sense. I mean, that weekend. Yeah. What were you doing over the weekend? Working. But you said you're, you're off. You don't work on the weekend, right? I'm saying I do side work on the weekend. All right. Either people's houses and if they had somebody's house. I used to go to Augusta sometimes. That weekend, I think I was in. I did that with that. Oh, a buddy of mine named Deontay. I worked at his house all day that day. It is highly unlikely that Aiken or anyone could have randomly recalled where he was on an uneventful weekend 11 months prior. And again, the weekend doesn't even matter because Stephen wasn't killed on the weekend. But the investigator doesn't know that and he just keeps asking about it. He eventually switches the subject and starts asking about the Murdochs. You, uh, did you go to school with some kids with the last name Murdoch? Murdoch? Murdoch. I know a girl. You know the boys? It wasn't too many months. Well, it was one, but he graduated with Steve. Right. You hang out with him? No, I did. Did you ever go to any of his parties at any time? No, sir. Then the interview starts to turn serious. It becomes clear that James is treating Aiken like a person of interest in this investigation. But then again, I have to say, the cops can lie in these types of interviews. Do you have an attorney? No. No. Why would I need one? I'm just asking. Well, here's the thing. You know, your name's been brought up, you know, as as a link in this death. So, I mean, if there's anything that you that you want to say about it, you know, I'd, I'd hate to, to see you, see you go down with the, with whoever killed this boy. Huh? I wasn't near. Did nobody until later after he died. On the exit. No, no, I mean, I don't know. Like, I heard he was hit by a car, and that was it. Yeah. No, I mean, he wasn't. So I mean, we're, we're going around and interviewing everybody that, that may have had a link based on what everybody's talking about, all right? Your name got brought up. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not calling you, I'm not saying you're guilty of nothing right now, okay? Yes, sir. All 
alright? But if you know something, or something comes up in the future, I mean, this, this is by no means a closed investigation. Yeah, so that would not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, if something comes up in the, in the, in the near future, you know, and we have leads to go on, and we discover new information about the case, even if you didn't do it, I mean, if, if you were tied in with it and didn't cooperate with us, you know, oh, no, then you could get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yes, this is pretty, uh... Yeah, that's real pretty, serious, because it's just somebody's life. And that's it. That's the end of the investigation files. What kind of an investigation ends in an interview with a cop saying this is by no means a closed investigation? In a best case scenario, they gave up and stopped caring about Stephen Smith's death. Maybe they realized that they were in way over their heads trying to solve a murder as accident experts. But why didn't they give the case to SLED at the time? And then we have to consider the worst case scenario. Did someone powerful interfere with this investigation and stop the wheels of justice from proceeding? We don't have the answers as to why this investigation ended, but we will find out. And we would most definitely hope that the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division is now conducting its investigation in this case as if all of the eyes of the world will be pouring through these case files later. They should know that I won't give up on this case, no matter how long it takes. They should know that sunlight will shine on those case files, and they don't want to look like the Highway Patrol. We have found more information about the direction that this case is heading and about Sandy Smith's attorney, but we're going to get into all of that in a later episode. For those of y'all who can't wait, subscribe to FitzNews.com. Which brings me to some really good news. The Murdoch Murders podcast team is expanding. I have awesome reinforcement coming in to help us expose the truth wherever it leads in the Murdoch Murders saga. And I can't wait to tell y'all about it in the next episode. I want to end the episode by saying thank you to every person who has supported us on this journey for almost five months now. There were a lot of times this summer when I wanted to give up on the podcast and your support kept me going. Now that we're expanding our team, I'm excited about so many new episodes that we have in store, including one on this crazy jellyfish gambit that David is super excited about. Sure am. Also, happy Veterans Day and thank you to all who have served, including my grandfather, a World War II veteran who turns 97 years old this week. Happy birthday, Grandpa Rocky. A special thanks to Chris with Hooked Audio, the team at UTA, and all of our sponsors. Also, the Standing for Steven event was a wild success. I'll talk about that in a later episode, but the GoFundMe to support Stephen's family and a scholarship in Stephen's name is still live. Check it out in the links in the description, and I encourage you all to donate. Stay tuned to the Murdoch Murders podcast and FitzNews.com, that's F-I-T-S News.com, for the latest updates. Follow me on Twitter at Mandy Matney, that's M-A-N-D-Y-M-A-T-N-E-Y, and follow me on Instagram at Mandy underscore N underscore Hilton Head for more updates. 
There's so much to unpack in this case, and Mandy works tirelessly to expose the truth. But the truth is, she works hard, and she does get tired. If you believe, like I do, that Mandy is the best in the business, and I'm a little biased, visit MurdochMurdersPodcast.com and click the Support the Show link to learn how you can help. Leave a five-star review to offset the haters. Refer an advertiser and get a finder's fee. Or advertise your company, product, or service. We can geotarget across the globe and find the right audience to suit your needs. Help us get Luna some treats so she doesn't interrupt the show as much. And absolutely subscribe to FitzNews.com. Mandy and Will are revolutionizing journalism, and your subscriptions are invaluable to that mission. Plus, you get awesome content every day. And don't forget to leave a five-star review, unless you're going to be nasty and talk about my vocal fry. The Murdoch Murders podcast is created by me, Mandy Matney, and my fiance, David Moses. Produced by Luna Shark Productions. (laughs) 